Tonight is the last night on our 10-week series on the Bible, which I personally have loved. But I got to tell you what happened today. So today I'm getting all ready to come. And then Tracy says to me, Tracy goes, um, Pastor Chuck, did you know your sermon's 10 pages long? And I'm like, no, I didn't know it was 10 pages long. And she's like, it's 10 pages long, which translates to two hours. Uh, so so uh, I, I'm like going, uh-oh, we got to do something. Because that's like two hours long, you guys. And so i uh, like, Casey, I know you love me, but two hours sitting hey, in that chair. I got a seat back, though. Tonight, oh, you so do. I'm you're good. more comfortable. I'm ready for it. Go for it. Oh, we're, we're going. We're going. No, no, we're not. We're not really. <laughs> we're not. So what I did, this just tells you something. The question is, is the Bible scientifically accurate? You guys, I didn't even pull everything in and I had 10 pages. So what I'm trying to tell you is I'm going to give you the highlights, but there's way more, way more, way more, because without a shadow of a doubt, without any controversy whatsoever, uh, the Bible truly is historically accurate. Uh, it's a 100% archaeologically accurate. Uh, it's 100% prophetically accurate. And it's truly, truly, truly scientifically accurate. And I know last week, Pastor Doug uh, came and he started the conversation for us. And I thought he did a great job. I got to watch. I got to be in the chat. Uh, it was so, it was good, right? It was really, really good. And so if you haven't heard that, go back. Because he started us on the conversation. But I want you to know something God teaches us, that science is a way for us to encounter God. Uh, That's what I want you to think about. In Romans chapter 1 verse 18, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because, because why does God say there's times he's angry with this? Because that which is known about God is evident. It's evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So the idea there is a God, and that God is who he is, is evident to us. How? Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. Everything about God you need to know. It can be found in science. That's what that's saying. Through what is made. So everyone who doesn't believe there's a God is clearly without an excuse. Uh, Leslie, you can't see right now, has a science background, especially in chemistry. But Leslie, I know you're excited about this. What this verse says is that when we begin to study physics, we can learn a lot about God. When we study chemistry, we can learn a lot about God. When we study biology, we learn about God. When we study astronomy, we learn about God. Mm. All of the science speaks to God and speaks about God. And we can understand who he is and what he's like. And science. That's why we as a church, we're not afraid of science. We love science. Uh, We want people to come if they have questions about science. We want to dig in together and discussing scientific breakthrough. By the way, let me tell you, because this would be an area I lean into, neuroscience Neuroscience has discovered so many things that help us understand God and people and the Bible better. Uh, And they do not go in contradiction uh, to it. Your wife is in that neuroscience Mm -hmm. field too. And and we love talking about this, but she's found that true, right? Oh yeah. She loves that. She she nerds out on it. She's just, (laughs) she loves it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, I nerd out on it. And then we get cool people in here like Teddy, so we're okay. But (laughs) I'm a bit of a nerd too. Oh, okay, you are too. But I tell you what, the more you study the brain and you understand the processes of it and the psychology that goes along with it, 
you actually walk away going, there's a God, there's a God, there's a God. And you discover that the Bible's been talking about it this whole time. So what I want to tell you is the Bible is truly scientifically accurate. And science, which we love, we love science. Science is a testimony that God is, and science is a testimony of who God is. Uh, And you know what I want to tell you is when I say the Bible is scientifically accurate, you might say, well, Chuck, you know, then why is it that all the scientists don't believe in God? Which I wouldn't want to have you think about that. There's a myth that says people of science tend to not believe in God which I want you to know is the evidence there that would support the myth. I called it a myth. You know, I don't believe it. Or is there something else going on? So let me give you some background on that. Without a doubt, there are well-known, very respected scientists, men of science and women of science, by the way, who uh, do believe in God. And the longer they've been in science, the more they believe, not the less. Uh, One of those men is Dr. Donald York, uh, who uh, of the University of Chicago and who headed the Fermi Institute. And I know right now all you guys are going, the Fermi Institute? Whoa, but you don't know what it is. No, okay. But the Fermi Institute is where they split the atom. This guy has led the project and led in the initial splitting of the atomic, uh, the atom to discover, discover atomic particles. I would say without a doubt, not just that he's a doctor, if you could split an atom, you're smart. Uh, And and here's the thing. Uh, He actually has more than once come out and says he sees no problem whatsoever with the science he knows and the faith he holds. The science he knows and the faith he holds. And he actually said this one time. I thought this was cool. He goes, if there ever has been a time that you thought that the science was disproving our faith, he said, hang on, that science will be proven wrong. Uh, kind of interesting. Uh, so you know what? I want you to understand, according to Dr. York, uh, the Bible and science are 100% compatible and the Bible is scientifically accurate. Uh, and we need to be aware of that. Uh, another man who had, without a doubt, as brilliant as Hugh Ross, Dr. Hugh Ross, who's an astrophysicist and taught at Caltech before he devoted himself to letting people understand how science and scripture are 100% compatible. And through science... Is how he became a Christian. He grew up in Canada as an atheist. He uh, got scholarship after scholarship. Uh, He got awards after award in the area of science. And the more he studied in his perceived field, his particular field, astrophysics, he said there is no way the earth could exist or the universe could exist unless there was something that created it. And he said, there's no doubt, it's too complex. And he goes, whenever anybody acts like it could come about by accident, they don't understand the complexities of the universe. And the more he studied, he began to understand there had to be a God. And then he began to think, if there is a God, maybe he revealed himself. And all the religions he looked at, which he looked at them, only one was scientifically accurate Christianity. Only one. By the way, the only religious book that's scientifically accurate is is the Bible. And it's 100% scientifically accurate. Uh, by the way, the, re- the Bible is not only the only religious book that's scientifically accurate, the Bible is actually more scientifically accurate than many science books. Now, I, Leslie, I know you're into science. You're probably thinking, well, what are you talking about? Uh, science books from the 1950s are not as scientifically accurate as the Bible today. And you know why we know that? Because they keep revising them. Yeah. But I'm not just joking. I'm telling you the truth. The more we discover, the more the Bible is true. 
And that's what Dr. York believes. That's what Hugh Ross would tell you. Uh, That's why Francis Collins would tell you. And I know this may be a little controversial, but I very, very much respect Dr. Collins who led the NIH through this amazingly testing time, this hard moment in our, in our country's history, in our world's history. And he led the NIH in finding ways for us to develop vaccines that would battle the COVID crisis. So you know what? He's a leader in that field who is also a very, very, very strong Christian. And uh, his faith in God has grown and deepened in his study and knowledge of medicine. But also he did something else. He led the project that mapped the DNA molecule. So the guy who split the atom, the guy who mapped the DNA molecule are telling you that telling me, hey, I got closer to God through that. I discovered more about God through that. And then there's Patrick Glenn, who had a really interesting title. He was the resident scholar of Georgetown University. That would be like a cool job. Hi, what do you do for a living? I'm a resident scholar. And uh, he also got his PhD from Harvard. And he was an atheist, but when he studied the evidence scientifically, it led him to a deep faith in Jesus Christ. And then one of the most famous atheistic philosophers that existed in modern time is Anthony Flew. And Anthony Flew, in the uh, latter part of the, the 20th century, was an atheist who said as scientific breakthroughs began to happen, he said, you could not ignore, they clearly pointed, there is a God. So what I'm trying to say to you is when somebody, when somebody begins to say, well, you know what, the scientists just don't believe it, the scientists just don't believe it, that's not really true because the evidence is so clear that not only do many scientists, most scientists believe in God, many through science have left atheism to become Christians. <laughs> Uh, and I, I, so there's a myth saying there's a problem, but there's not. So let me tell you about this. Rice University uh, did a study and they found this, that in the United Kingdom, only 32% of scientists think science is in conflict with religion. 68% see no conflict whatsoever. Uh, in the United States, according to Rice University, 29% of scientists see, uh, say that there's a conflict between science and religion. 71% of scientists in the United States say there's not. Uh, by the way, that number is growing in our favor, not going the other way. In Hong Kong, I think this is interesting. In Hong Kong, the general population, 55% are convinced atheists. But in the scientific community in Hong Kong, only 26% are convinced atheists. And why? Because the more they got in the science, they left atheism behind to commit themselves to a belief in God. So what I'm trying to give you the idea of is that the science is our friend. The science speaks of God. The science let us know who God is and that he is. And so I'm going to give you some examples from the Bible. Highlights. Tracy, we're not going 10 pages. All right. The first is this. If you uh, know anything about planet Earth, you know that this is true. Uh, We're going to show you a picture taken from outer space of the planet that we live on. And you notice something about that planet. When you look at the picture, you notice two things. One, well, maybe three. It's really beautiful. I mean, I think Earth's beautiful. Uh, But three, the two other things. One, what shape is the earth? It's round. round. And the second is it's hanging on nothing. Now, what you need to know is not only the earth is round, but it hangs on nothing. That's a scientific fact. 
I don't think anybody questions it. Uh, well, that's not true. In the day of the internet, there's somebody out there that questions it. But, but the Bible doesn't. The Bible actually at a time where most people, almost no people, anyone would have, would have said that the earth was round. The Bible said it was. Because God who created the earth told us something about it. In uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22 is where I'm going to be. And then I'm going to Proverbs 8, 27, if you guys want to get ahead of me. Isaiah 40, 22 says, it is he, it is God who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. And then it says, God is the one who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. God says, you know what? I sit above the circle of the earth, the roundness of the earth. So in Isaiah, it's very clear that God is saying the earth is round. In Proverbs 8, 27, it says this. It says, when he, God, established the heavens, I was there and the eye was wisdom. Wisdom was there when he inscribed a circle on the face of the earth. In other words, when he made sure that the earth was the roundness it is, uh, the, the, the geometry that it exists in. And it says that, you know what, God is the one who designed that. So twice the Bible says clearly that the earth is round. Now, here's the thing you need to know. Uh, This went against popular opinion of its day and the major belief systems of that day. And then we began to discover the truth. And now we know the fact and science lines up with the faith of Scripture. Um, Is that true of other religions? Well, I could go on and on, part of my 10 pages, but I'm not. There's a book called the Vedas. The Vedas is a holy book of the Hindu religion. Uh, the word Vedas actually means knowledge. So the Vedas is the knowledge the Hindu religion goes by. And in that book of knowledge, it says that the world is rectangular and flat and held up by four elephants on the back of a giant turtle. Now, now we're going to show you a picture, uh, but don't miss this. That the world is flat, and rectangular and held up by four elephants that stand on the back of a giant turtle. Now, what you're seeing on the screen right now is actually a Hindu belief. And I know you know this, that when we've been in outer space, we've not been having to dodge that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Uh, So so it's not there. And, And so we know that's true. But here's the wild thing. Obviously, the Vedas is very, very old. It's an ancient book. And no one questioned what it taught for thousands of years, while the Bible taught the opposite. The other thing we know is that the earth is round and hangs on nothing. It's not held up by elephants. It's not held up by a turtle. It's not held up by a turtle and elephants. Um, But what does the Bible say? Job 26, verse 7 says this. It says, he stretches out the north over empty space, and he hangs the earth on nothing. Wow. Now, I, I think you know this, but just let's say it again. When Job spoke this, when Job began to be circulated, people did not believe this. They believed it was held up in one sh- way, shape, or form. That there's no way the earth could just hang in the midst of empty space. So it went against the beliefs of its day, but it went against the scientific facts we know, or did, went with the scientific facts we know to be true. So is the Bible scientifically accurate in saying the earth is round and it hangs in the midst of empty space? Yes, along with other things that's scientifically accurate about. One would be this, the laws of thermodynamics. Uh, The laws of thermodynamics. Uh, You probably know, most of you know, 
there's a quest in science today to come up with what they call the theory of everything. Uh, Stephen Hawking, who is brilliant, by the way, and even though we would disagree with him on some things, Stephen Hawking has, has posited that there must be a theory that explains everything. So in the theory of everything, which proposed, it's the idea in the scientific community that states there's one all-encompassing theory that proposes a framework of understanding all physics combining quantum mechanics and classical physics into a unified approach which explains the laws of the universe. Now, uh, uh, I, I, I just want to stop because I want to talk about what that means to us right now. Hawking says classical physics matters and it shouldn't be cast aside. It shouldn't be ignored. It shouldn't be explained away. So one of the most brilliant men who's ever lived says that while quantum mechanics is true, that classical physics needs to be held onto too. And there's got to be a way to bring the two together. And right now, that's hard to do. Right now, that's hard to figure out. But what I would say is this, is that now we have the scientific community uh, and a leading person in the scientific community saying, okay, the laws of thermodynamics need to hold on. You need to embrace them. Now, here's where I'm going. The Bible actually teaches the laws of thermodynamics. Uh, So where do we get that? Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says this. And it's talking about he is God. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. Uh, I want to pause there before we get to thermodynamics. So parentheses moment. Um, God created eternity. God created time. God lives outside of time in eternity. And then God did something. When he created us, when he created you, and he created me, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, said that when he did that, he put inside of our hearts, inside of our minds, our imagination, the, the ability to know there's something eternal, something beyond time, something more. But he didn't give us the ability to understand it completely. It's too big for us. It's too complex for us. Uh, and, and maybe that's where the theory of everything's found. I don't know. But, but what it says is that you and I know that's true. So, so if you really take time to look inside, God's telling you there's more, there's more, there's more. More than what you see. By the way, that's interesting. The Bible teaches what we see is not all there is, which would speak to the atomic world too, by the way. That the Bible's saying there's something you can't see. Uh, and there's something more. Hmm. And so here's what God begins to tell us in verse 12. The writer says, I perceive there is nothing better for them, for mankind, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Mello, you and I are on it, man. We're smoking meat. And, uh, oh, that's a different subject. Okay. There's joy. Verse 14. He said, I perceive that whenever God does Uh, Whatever God does endures forever. Nothing, look at this part with me, watch on the screen. Nothing can be added to it nor taken away from it. God has done it 
so that people fear before him. Now, you might say, okay, Chuck, what are you talking about? Very clearly, the writers here says God inspired us to know in the Bible, nothing can be added to what God has created and nothing can be taken away from it. Why is that important? Because the very first law of thermodynamics says this, energy can be transferred from one place to another or transferred from one form to another, but it can neither be created nor destroyed. What is that law saying? You can't add to it and you can't take away from it which is just what it's, it really is exactly what's in Ecclesiastes uh, 3, verse 14. And, and, and I want you to notice this. According to the law, not the theory, the law of thermodynamics, the total quantity of energy in the universe is constant. It may be in a different form. It may be less available or more available, but it's constant. And there will never be any more energies in the universe and never be any less energy in the universe which is what it says in Ecclesiastes. Why? Because while the Bible is not a science book, it is scientifically accurate. So the first law of thermodynamics, which Hawking said we have to embrace, we need to understand the Bible is compatible uh, with it and even espouses that law. Then we go uh, to the second law of thermodynamics, which I get super excited about. And here's the good news. I'm not the only one. Tracy, you got excited about it. I didn't talk to you, Leslie, about it. Okay, you excited about? Okay, yeah, yeah. Les, you can't see her, but Leslie's excited about the second law of thermodynamics, which I seriously, I'm not kidding. I'm super excited about. Now, here's what that law is. So try to hang in with me. It's called the law of increasing entropy. The law of increasing entropy. And, and so technically that means this, that heat will naturally flow from a hot body to a cold one, but not from a cold to a hot. So Siri can't hear me. I'm sorry. All right. So <laughs> Apple watch. All right. Heat will go from hot to cold, not from cold to hot. Uh, it gets more uh, important but, but let's stop there so we understand that. So in the idea of the second law of thermodynamics, the law of increasing entropy, that would mean that, for instance, Lauren. Yes. Yeah, I saw, okay, Lauren, and we got a camera on Lauren. Okay, good. So Lauren, I asked this a question ahead of time. Do you think if you held hands with a guy and you're single, so let's say it's a really caring, loving, committed Christian guy. Okay, I'm walking with you. Okay, there you go, there we are. And you held hands with him. Uh-huh. But he took your hand, by the way. Okay. And you held it. Okay. Do you think your hand would be warmer or colder than his? I think warmer. Okay, you think warmer. Now, yeah. statistically, most women's hands or girls' hands are colder. But it is possible yours is warmer. So yeah. let's say let's say it is. So, Lauren, you grab this guy's hand, good-looking guy, sharp guy. Uh, what happens in, in the law of thermodynamics? What physical process takes place when that guy grabs your hand and his hand is colder? Well, we know this, that heat will go from your body to his, but not from his body to yours. In other words, he will be sucking heat out of you. <laughs> and he'll take some of your energy, which he'll always have for all eternity. No, um, but no, isn't that kind of interesting? Because, but you won't, you won't actually find yourself having your hand get warmer if you're holding a hand that's colder. That is very interesting. I don't know how to feel about that one. Oh, uh, okay. I don't know how to feel. She did like my podcast, just so <laughs> But Lauren's honest. That, that's really good. But I'm still hoping for the cold guy. 
So anyway, all right, so here's the point. Uh, In the midst of that process where Lauren and this guy are holding hands, heat is exchanged, but it has to go from hot to cold, not cold to hot. And when that happens, some of the heat or the energy has to be dispersed, still in the universe, but not available again. Now, that's the whole idea of the law of increasing entropy. Now, what you need to know is that law exists in many different ways and is active in many different ways. One way that law is active is in what we call statistical entropy. And you you really will care about this in a moment. So if right now you don't think you will, I'm going to bring it together. You will care. Now, what does that mean? Listen, everything tends towards disorder. Everything tends towards disorder. That is a law of thermodynamics. So if you clean your room, what will happen a month later? Will it be more orderly or less orderly? A mess. A mess. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's why some of you go, forget it. It's not worth it. And then others of us go, you have an issue. No, uh, but, but if you clean your car, your car, and you don't do anything to it, you don't intercede, it's going to get messier. It's going to get dirtier. Uh, and so we know that's true in life. This means that this is where we start to bring it together. Everything in the end devolves, not evolves. Everything in the end, according to this law of science, devolves, not evolves. And so what that means is things will go from a more complex state to a more simple state over time. Unless something intercedes, but even then, it'll eventually get back to that process. This applies to all real processes. This applies to biology. It applies to geology. It applies to chemistry. It applies to the physics. uh, And it applies to our physical bodies. So right now, I'm clearly the oldest guy in the room. My body is devolving. And some of you are going to be there one day, unless Jesus comes back. But anyway, all right. So now what does that mean? That means the law of science says you can't go from an atom atom to atom. Now, Doug talked about this more last week, but let me tell you what I'm talking about. An atom has a very low temperature. It can't, over the course of time, produce a man who's 98.6 degrees. That's impossible. It's actually impossible. You can give it a billion years. It's not going to happen according to the laws of science. So the truth of the matter is, is it will not occur. So an atom that has a very low temperature is not going to give uh, over a course of time its physical process into causing something with a higher temperature to occur. So we know that's true. And by the way, we've watched that now for hundreds of years. We've tested it to make sure it's true. And it's a law of science that keeps being true. Another way to say it's this, if I make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and put it on this table and come back a year from now, what am I going to find? I promise you I will not find a double-double from in and out <laughs> I could leave it a billion years. I could put a million sandwiches on the table. How many will turn into a double-double? Answer, none, because the double-double has a higher temperature than a peanut butter sandwich. Now, there's probably other things called cockroaches and bugs and <laughs> Even here, yeah. So, all right. So anyway, it doesn't matter how long you have. It doesn't matter how many mutations you have. The heat process can't change. So that's what the the science tells us. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? In Genesis 2.17, it says this. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God says you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely evolve. No, he didn't say that. 
He said, you'll devolve, you'll die. You'll begin to have death enter in and you won't be able to stop the process. Uh, in Genesis three seventeen to 19, God begins to talk about what happened when Adam and Eve did not listen to him. And it's worth saying, whenever we don't listen to God, it never goes well. Why does the Bible call sin, sin? Because sin hurts you. Sin causes harm, causes pain. It causes a devolving, not an evolving into our life. So it says that Adam, to Adam, God's talking to Adam and Eve after Adam and Eve did the wrong thing. It goes then to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Look what it says here, verse 18. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. And he says this to Adam. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. So God says two things there. One, he said you could, you could do the best job farming you feel you want to, but if you don't keep at it, it will go to eroding away. It will go to being filled with thorns and thistles. Is that true? No doubt, no doubt. Everybody here, it's well easier, it's way easier to grow weeds than it is tomatoes. Um, We know that's true. Now, here's the other thing you need to know. Left to itself, that's what continues to happen. It gets overgrown, it devolves. But even more, he said to Adam, you're gonna die. You're gonna turn to dust. You can't keep growing, you can't keep moving. Your body will eventually go from complexity to disorder. It's going to waste away into something very, very simple. Dust is simple. A human body is very complex. And so the Bible is actually espousing the very science that we know is true. So is the Bible and and science compatible? Yes. Uh, Is the Bible scientifically accurate? You bet it is. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 22, God says this, For the creation was subjected to futility. In other words, when you start studying the science, we see diseases taking place. We see people beginning to live uh, shorter and shorter lives unless we find medicine to intercede. But even then, we can't stop the process on the long haul. And it says the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Uh, By the way, that means we're going to have less pure water to drink because it's going to waste away. We're going to have less land to farm because it's going to waste away. Uh, the oxygen level on the earth eventually uh, will, will have less and less and become a place where there won't be enough to support us the way we're used to. So it says, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will set us free from a slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation groans and suffers pains of childbirth together until now. So one of the things the Bible says is if you look within the creation, look, by looking at it scientifically, you'll see a corruption developing, a devolving taking place, or in other words, the second thermal law of thermodynamics happening all around you, just as the Bible said. 
So we need to understand that. We need to know how true that is. So the Bible speaks of that. And so the Bible definitely is scientifically compatible and scientifically accurate. Uh, I do want to go to one that I think will be true and meaningful, but also fun. In the book of Job, so guys on the slides, we're jumping to Job 38. Job 38 is where we're going to. Uh, In the book of Job, it talks about something pretty interesting. It says, where were you, God says, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know, or stretched out the line of it on where its base is sunk? Or listen to this part. Or laid its cornerstones, and notice what God says. When the morning stars sang together and all of the sons of God shouted for joy. So God says something very interesting about the area of astronomy. He says the stars sing together. I was watching a TED talk by a blind astronomer, which I think is like awesomely cool. This guy always wanted to be an astronomer, but he went blind. And he thought, my hope, my dream, my, my passion, my calling will never occur until he began to actually do a form of astronomy, which was based on listening to the sounds of the stars in the sky. And he could pick out which star was one and which star was another based on the sounds that they emitted. Which to me, by the way, the whole idea of space is a vacuum. That was part of my notes. Tracy, I was going to go into how did stars uh, emit sounds in an area of vacuum? There is, I won't get into it. (laughs) Want to. I also had dinosaurs in here, but we're going away. Okay. Oh, you wanted dinosaurs. Okay. Well, we might do a part two. But anyway, Psalm 148 verse three says this, praise him sun and moon, praise him all the stars of light. So the Bible talks about the stars actually praising God, uh, uh, having sound that comes forth from them. And I want to have you watch a, a video from a pastor that we all love named Louis Giglio. Uh, he's so creative and so insightful, and, and I, I, we love Louis. Uh, and so, right, and by the way, she, you're reading his newest book. I am. You are, which it's very good. Super cool. We're having a moment tonight now. We are. Yeah. We are. We'll, we'll find that guy for you. Okay, but <laughs> I want you to catch this where he begins to talk about in a very cool way and show you and let you hear stars that are singing out of praise to God. Let me just show you a couple more stars. This one is called the Vela Pulsar, and it's magnificent. It's a thousand light years away. It's a highly magnetized neutron star. It simply means this star exploded into a supernova, and in the case of the Vela Pulsar, it collapsed back on itself in a magnetic entity, and as the pulsar, it began oscillating on its axis. This one oscillates 11 times a second on its axis. And as it is oscillating, you can see what's happening. It's shooting a radio frequency out of itself. When they aimed the radio telescopes at the Vela Pulsar, this is what they heard. And this is what this guy does 24-7, day and night, 365 days a year. This is what, from a thousand light years away, the Vela Pulsar sounds like right now. This is it. Listen to this. about you but I that blew me away I'm thinking wow this is incredible 
You're like, well, what does it mean? I don't know. Is that some kind of Morse code for something? Or what, what, what does all that mean? I don't know what it means, but, and I don't want to you know, go too crazy here, but maybe the Vela Pulsar got wind somehow innately of Psalm 148, verse 3, and says, it says, praise him, sun and moon, and all you shining stars. We're a shining star. We should praise him. Well, how are we going to praise him? I know. Let's oscillate 11 times a second on our axis and see if we can send a radio signal into the universe that would join in the symphony of of God's praise from all creation. It's singing. The stars are singing to him. I recently stumbled on 47 Tuck. It's a, a beautiful uh, cluster of stars. We'll show you the picture of it here. There are 12 of these super giant blue stars in there, but the things that are of interest to us tonight are these millisecond pulsars. And right now tonight, while we're sitting in this room, the 16 recorded millisecond pulsars and 47 tuck are making this sound right now. Isn't that beautiful? Who knew? No, God has his own string section. <laughs> I love that. God has his own string session. It's called the universe. And uh, uh, you know what's cool is I want to encourage you actually to search for this on YouTube and put in whale mashup. Because what he does is he keeps quoting from that psalm in an amazing way. And then he begins to bring in different, uh, the actual sounds from different stars and brings them together with the sounds of whales. I think it will blow you away how it does sound like praise. But the Bible says it is praise. It's a way of praising God. And that's why it says in Psalm 148, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all the stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. That is part of my 10 pages of notes where I wanted to talk about. Are there waters above the universe as we know? Anyway, uh, which, okay, I, I'm the only one. But anyhow, the point is this. The God who loves you is true. Jesus actually said these words. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father but by me. Every word in the Bible is true. And one of the most important things you'll read and know when you study the Bible is that God loves you. God cares about you. The Bible says that you are a creation of God. The Bible says that you are one of the wonders that God loves. The Bible says God's eye is always upon you. And he's always listening to you. Here's what's wild. In a world where you may not feel anybody would listen to you, God loves you so much. He listens to every word you think and say. Everything you're trying to get out. He understands it even when you can't get it out because he understands you. And he created you to live a life with him, in relationship with him, knowing him so that you could live the best life ever. One of the things I, in the area of understanding more about the neurosciences and psychology, is there's no way around the fact that people who have a very real relationship with God as their father will always do better in life and have better mental health 
and they'll have a better fortitude and more resilience. I mean, the studies are in. Why? Because it's true. And this is the God who couldn't love you more than he does. So the question is right now, are you in a very real relationship with him? John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, God. And Jesus goes on to talk about as a father. The Bible even says as a Abba father or a Papa. And uh, God has prepared amazing things for you. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says that eye is not seen nor ear heard, nor is it ever entered into your imagination. All that God has prepared for those that he loves and who love him. So come into this relationship. Put yourself in his hands. Throw yourself into his arms. Do what Soren Kierkegaard said, take a leap of faith. Now, by the way, he what didn't word it the way we tightly got it, but he did mean it this way. Kierkegaard said, you stand on the mountain of evidence. There is a God and the Bible's true and you leap. So you're not leaping into nothing. You're standing on what is real. So right now, some of you, you may need to take that next moment to actually throw yourself into the arms of God. And the Bible says that there's two things you do to get to that place. One is you pray. And I'm going to lead a prayer in a moment where you can say yes to God. The second is you let it be known. You, you get it out there. So right now, let's pray. Father, I pray for anybody who's watching this. The God you love and you care about them. You designed this whole universe so they could come into existence because they're that important. They're that valuable. And I pray right now they would know how true and real that is. And I pray they would somehow begin to feel inside your love for them, your everlasting, unconditional love you have for them. And if someone right now who's watching feels like they're a failure, that they would know that, God, you're going to take them and take them to a place of, of success and victory and vitality. They can get there with you. If there's someone who's out there right now that feels like I've lost it all, then they'd find out in the midst of feeling so empty, you could fill them with your love and your joy and a better purpose. And life's not over. Life could get better. If there's couples out there that need to get their marriages right, may they right now decide we're going to do this. The God who gives us truth can truly lead us to a better place. And so God, anybody who needs you, anybody right now, they would understand you want them. I pray they're going to pray this prayer. And if that's you, pray the prayer with me. And maybe there's somebody else in the room with you or you can grab their hand and say, let's pray it together. But pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. Say, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me and for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and from pain. I pray you'll free me from anything or anyone that's holding me down or holding me back. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive and I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes. And if those are the only words you can say, just say it. If you say, I didn't pray the prayer, say these words. I say yes. I say yes to you and I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours. In Jesus' name, 
amen. And the word amen means the truth, the truth, for real. And so if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to text amen to 77247. Uh, Get out of the way to text us. Text AMEN to 77247 or go to family and click on I Said Yes. By the way, here's what's kind of cool. The science shows us that life change happens, transformation occurs when we make a commitment and then share it with someone else. And the Bible, the Bible for thousands of years has told us when you make the commitment, when you pray the prayer you just prayed, that you should let someone know. So do that. Let us know right now in either crossroadschurch.family or texting amen to 77247. By the way, next week, we're going into a brand new series. Uh, it's a five-week series on how you genuinely connect with God in meaningful and deep ways. It's a theology of worship. And a lot of people don't understand worship. So we're going to go deep into scripture, understanding a theology of worship. We'll kick that off next week. Hope to see you then. Hope to see you Sunday. And I hope beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know that God loves you. God cares for you. May his blessings be upon you in meaningful ways. God bless you and have a great night.